Hey, Risto here with George Mason University. Today, we're talking with Dr. Aaron Santeo, an associate professor from the University of Hawaii at Manoa. Um, we are going to discuss a paper she just uh, led titled Effects of a Comprehensive School Health Program on Elementary Student Academic Achievement. It was just published in the Journal of School Health in 2021. So, Aaron, welcome back to the podcast and thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Risto. Thanks uh, for having me today. And I'm super excited to talk about this paper. You know, I just wanted to start out. Obviously, I have a lot of co-authors on this paper. So acknowledging my colleagues um, from Wayne State that I used to work with. uh, And of course, um, some other collaborators. So Cheryl Summers, Whitney Moore, Noelle Kulik, Alex Garn, and Nate McCautry. Um, We're super excited to to talk about this paper today with you. All-star team. So uh, you've been on the podcast before, um, actually is one of the first guests, uh, and you've helped produce some of the podcast episodes earlier on. And on your podcast that you've come in as a guest in the very beginning, you talked about the ecological systems theory that this current study is based on. So uh, there's an episode right after episode seven before I realized that I need to number every single episode. So it's between seven and eight. Uh, It talks about the ecological systems theory. So we won't go into that in this podcast because you've already kind of talked about that. Um, And then you talked about the comprehensive school physical activity programs um, in episode seven. Um, So this specific paper covers comprehensive school health programs. Um, Is there a difference with this term or how you use it? Or is it similar to CSPAP, which is like a comprehensive school physical activity program? Yeah, that's a great uh, question, Risto. So I think that CISPAP is included within a comprehensive school health program or I or a whole of school health approach, as some of you might have heard of it before. The main difference um, specifically within this study is that it includes not only physical activity, which is what a CISPAP focuses on, but uh, it also includes healthy eating. And so um, this study really looked at the comprehensive approach of healthy eating intervention, as well as physical activity intervention, and then that collective impact on academic achievement. And um, when we think about comprehensive school health, like obviously there's the whole school, whole community, whole child model, model, and there's 10 components within that model. And we didn't focus on all of the components within that model, but the ones that were you know, really focused on was around healthy eating, um, around physical activity. And then also there's a piece of this program that really looked at kind of like um, student leadership and kind of making sure that student voices uh, were ho- were heard within their um, student leadership clubs. And so that's kind of a portion of it as well uh, that kind of collectively falls within that whole of school approach. Yeah. And I, and I like that. Um the student club part, and and we'll get to that later on. But what the other really big major part of this study was about academic achievement. And obviously, as educators in a K-12 setting, physical education teachers, health teachers, we're concerned about academic achievement for students. But can you explain how this is important for general PE? I mean, the measures that you looked at were English language arts and math, and what effect the intervention had on that. So why do HPE teachers need to kind of hear this and, and listen to this part of academic achievement? You know, that's a really great question because I would say that there's a lot of people that feel like this isn't kind of like 
our place, right? Like we're physical education. We need to focus on being true to physical education and creating quality physical education. And I do 100% agree with that. Um, but I think where it's really important is that although PE is not really responsible um, for academic achieve- achievement, like we live in a political environment. And when I say political, I mean, there's all sorts of politics going on within a school environment. I mean, you're talking about policy, resource allocation, all of these things are going on in the school environment. And so we know that physical education traditionally is marginalized. We here in the U.S. especially, we know that time um, is not being allocated to physical education. And so being able to demonstrate kind of that value of physical education from other stakeholders' viewpoints Um, is really important. And it only adds strength to kind of our political standing in education, but also beyond the education world. So when we think about um, comprehensive programming that's done well, we can really kind of contribute to this political capital that we need to kind of keep PE in the schools and be able to talk on that greater level. And although it's not um, our the goal of physical education is not to have higher academic achievement for students, but as we're educating the body, it's also important that we're educating the mind. So kind of taking that holistic approach for me, and I know for, you know, people on our research team is really important. Yeah. And I think that um, Clancy Seymour came on a few episodes ago and talked about teacher evaluation in New York. And there are some schools that actually like evaluate physical education teachers on the students' development of math and English language arts. So um, it's not unheard of, which it's also wild that they are being assessed on that uh, as teachers because they don't have any control over that. But I think that, you know, in this instance, what you're looking at in this study is actually very interesting to that population of teachers who you know, it would, it would help them because, uh, you know, your study did have a, um, a positive effect on math and English language arts through your intervention. But before we go there, can you talk about what you did in the research project in general, kind of like an overview of the methods and what, what was happening during this year long intervention? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. So um, this particular project um, is kind of called the Building Healthy Communities um, Elementary School Program. And it took took, um, part in elementary schools over eight months. And the Building Healthy Communities Program is focused on, as you mentioned earlier, the socio-ecological model. And it has um, six different components. So there's principal engagement, there's classroom nutrition lessons and physical activity breaks, Uh, there's active recess, quality physical education, and then after school, oh, student leadership clubs, and then after school, healthy kids clubs, as we kind of title them. So each of those components brings various things within the realm of healthy eating and physical activity. And I don't think I need to get into the details of that today, but in general terms, like principal engagement, they're there for support, they're giving announcements, they're supporting their teachers to kind of implement healthy messages and things throughout the school. Obviously, quality physical education, there was a lot of training around quality physical education and what that is, helping um, teachers become better with use of curriculum. So in this case, 
we use what's called exemplary physical education curriculum, also known as EPIC, which is kind of a Michigan specific um, curriculum, but it's uh, sold nationally. But then it wasn't just about that curriculum. It was about trying to integrate it in a cultural context within that school. And so here is a curriculum in which you can use to um, better your physical education and the quality of the physical education that you're using, um, but not necessarily uh, teaching it uh, every single lesson that's in that. It, we really kind of think about quality physical education as being sustainable for the teacher. And what we know is if we come in and slap on, say, you have to teach all of this, that's not reality. That's not how after we leave after this year, the teacher is going to enact. And so it was really um, working with those physical education teachers to provide them professional development to understand what quality physical education is. The classroom engagement component really looked at um, nutrition lessons. So the students went through eight nutrition lessons um, that tied in USDA uh, standards. And we have this, we have a coordinator at each school that is our grant coordinator, but then they work with all of the teachers. And so they would go in and teach the first lesson. And then the teacher would teach the second, the classroom teacher would teach the second lesson. So the program is really set up for sustainability. So by the time you get to the fourth lesson, um, the teachers feel more comfortable with kind of distributing that content to the kids. And same way with the physical activity breaks, we would come in and mirror it and help the teachers like understand how it's supposed to work, give them strategies for settling kids down because we know that teachers um, really have a hard time with getting kids settled back down in the classroom. And so all of that kind of professional development went along with kind of that co-teaching strategy to hand that those strategies over to them in their classroom. Um, within the, the active recess, this was really about um, getting kids active after school. And we um, structured it in a way where they would do like a, a healthy snack at first, and then they would do a running club, running walking club, and then they would do some fun activities. So the goal of the, uh, oh, I'm sorry, that's the after school club. Um, the goal of that after school club is essentially to just get kids more time being physically active and helping them develop the skills that we know are so important to a lifelong of physical activity. Active recess was more about um, training recess leaders what active recess is um, and also providing them equipment for kids to be active during recess. So there's a lot that kind of went into that. And then the student leadership team is kind of the last component and that really focused on we use the model of um, fuel up to play 60. And so students uh, chose different plays that they wanted to enact within their school. They had to choose one healthy eating play and one physical activity play, and it had to be sustainable. So it wasn't supposed to be just like a one-time event. And so those are things over that eight month period that we helped facilitate um, within that school. And then um, for the, the study purposes, uh, you know, we tracked fidelity of kind of what was being implemented across um, the different components. And then we also um, did a pre-survey and a post-survey uh, for the students. And um, in this case, we used academic measures, as you suggested, for reading and math. And we decided to go with a curriculum-based measure. And I think that that's important to understand because this isn't um, academic achievement tests, which often you find in a lot of these academic achievement papers. So we use a curriculum-based measure, which is a little bit more sensitive to change, especially in this elementary population. And so the Dibbles um, 
is for reading and AIMSWeb was for math. And uh, we actually administered those with the classroom teachers uh, at both of the time points. And so that's how we kind of measured their academic achievement. And then as far as the methodology goes, we then kind of looked at uh, obviously how those scores differed and controlling for things like gender, age, um, and also like class cluster, because we know that that's important. But then um, beyond that, we looked at the rate of improvement. So looking at, okay, over this period of time, and I think it was 30 weeks, um, how, how much did the kids change? And what's cool about curriculum-based measures is that there's national averages that you can compare that to. And so what we found was that not only was the, um, the intervention group significantly um, different, they learned more than the, uh, or they showed higher achievement than the control group, but in this instance, their rate of improvement was higher than the national average too, which I think is just another, another level to say like, wow, something is really going on here um, that, is that we need to look further into, right? So um, that was a long-winded answer, but hopefully kind of gives you the an idea of the complexity of all of the intervention components, but then also like the methodology um, kind of part of it. Yeah, and, and you ended up doing this with fifth graders. And as I recall, it was four intervention schools and then two comparison schools. Um, approximately how many students are we talking about across those schools? Yeah, so I think the total number here was around like 640 or 600 and 628 students. So there was about 377 in the intervention um, group with about 54% uh, girls. And then the comparison group had about 250 students um, and that was 49% girls. And I, I do think, so as we get into the results, like the way that we set up this analysis is important because it is important to understand that this wasn't like a randomized control trial. So there are flaws in our research design, but I do think it's important for the people that are listening to this back home to understand that, you know, this was really about the um, program. Like the, our goal was to, to deliver significant programming and was not necessarily our main focus wasn't about the research. Of course, we want to try to capture the research as we're doing um, the intervention, but sometimes those don't always mesh. So it wasn't a randomized controlled trial. We tried to randomize as best as possible, which is where those two comparison schools came in. Those were schools that had applied to the program, but then were um, kind of stipulated for delayed intervention uh, after this year. So they, they actually received the program the following year following this study. Yeah, and I, and I think you used in my opinion, an incorrect word. You, you said this is a flaw in our design. And, and I think, you know, we talked about this off the air a little bit about how hard it is to go in and collect this type of data and gain entry into a school district, follow 628 students over an entire year, match up all these scores. And, and I think, you know, yes, we can say the gold standard is a randomized control trial, but also in this research that you did, that may have not been exactly the focus of what you're looking at. So if you're looking at on the ground intervention, how does it work? Does it have an effect? And you clearly build on past studies here of finding something in another study, seeing some limitations to that, taking the next step. And, and, I, and I think I, I just wanted to kind of 
at least let you address of, you know, do you, do you feel like it was a flaw in the design or was there something, was it just like you were looking for something different? Yeah, I appreciate you saying that, Risto. Sometimes, you know, we get stuck in our research language and we get hung up on things that might have been pointed out to us that aren't um, gold standard, right? But it's definitely not a flaw. I think that this is real world, right? Like this is um, trying to do best for kids and for schools and then trying to track what we're doing. And sometimes as um, a programmer or as someone who really has a goal to to make a difference with kids, um, that like research lens almost uh, conflicts with kind of the reality of what's going on um, and the boots on the ground. And so not necessarily a flaw in our eyes. We're super excited that we were able to collect the data that we did because it is a monumental task to be able to track those students over the, that period of time within that many schools, like the amount of resources that goes into that and the time. Um, is obviously a lot. So yeah, I appreciate you you bringing that up. I think that it really, um, you know, from a research standpoint, there are some things that we could have done better, I guess would be a, a way to say it. But from an intervention standpoint, like this is real world, this is what's happening on the ground. And the fact that we were able to track it in some manner is really exciting. Yeah. And, I, and I've been in similar situations of, you know, trying to track two schools and one control, and you talked about clusters in your in your uh, study, and this was a different type of cluster. And um, we'll just leave it at that. But it, it, it's incredibly difficult to um, to follow these students and maintain, you know, the connections. And it's a testament to the relationship you have with the school district. Um, but let me uh, let me move into the results here. In your study, you you talked about. Um, even after you controlled for a lot of factors, age, sex, race, et cetera, um, the intervention groups, the four schools ended up with uh, significantly higher math and ELA scores. So uh, how do you think that happened or what, what was the reason behind this? Well, I mean, Risto, that's the million dollar question, right? I think um, one of the difficulties, so, you know, previous literature, we, we know that um, physical activity, fitness has been linked to these significant um, increases in academic achievement, right? And they look at that direct measure, whether it's an acute or chronic bout um, of physical activity or fitness overall in relation to those different measures. One of the things that we think is unique about our study is really trying to understand the totality of a whole of school approach. So with that, we can say that we know that X, Y, and Z happened within the school at this time. We're also confident that they made no other changes within their curriculum. So it wasn't like our, our intervention schools decided that they were going to start a new math um, curriculum or they did different strategies with reading. Like we, we had conversations with the principals and teachers about not making changes within curriculum for these things as this intervention was kind of playing out. And so it's hard for us to say, like, what is it that actually caused those math or reading source to go up? But what we can say with certainty is that within this population of fifth graders, as this whole of school approach was happening within the school, so kids were getting more opportunities for physical activity, they were being more active, they were engaging in healthy eating um, in, the, in their school lunches, uh, during school snacks, 
they were offered more opportunities in general, and they kind of had more ownership over what these opportunities looked like, we saw these changes within math and reading. And so, you know, these are the types of things that I think are important and really foster the opportunity for future research. Like we need to better understand how this comprehensive approach is impacting these things. Like, what is it? Is it the, is it different components? Is it the totality of it? I think that those are questions that are unknown and we just don't really know what causes it, but it is still important to understand that this happened. And while it was happening, like we saw these changes. Right. And, and you said specifically in your study that you were looking at the individual factors of did the student-led group make a difference or did this specific group, but you looked at it as a comprehensive program. But my question is like about your study design makes these results more trustworthy than let's say if I do a study with only two schools and no control group, like what's, what do you feel like your study design does, does well? Yeah, well, absolutely. So, I mean, I think, you know, we all have been in situations where we're looking at kind of this intervention and we aren't able to have a control group and we see these changes and we're like, wow, like these changes occurred. That's great. But without that comparison group, you can't say that those changes um, were, you know, were by chance. Like we don't know, but with the comparison group, you're able to better um, control for those outside variables for what's going on within um, not only the school, but within the world around and see like, okay, these are kids that are um, typically going to be learning around the same rate when you look at totality within the group. And so that comparison group is really important in that methodology from a methodology standpoint, because you are able to kind of contribute those differences to what's going on within the intervention. Now, you notice that in the study, there was differences at pre. And so the type of analysis that we did had to control for those pre-scores because as I said earlier, like this um, wasn't a randomized control trial. We didn't have the luxury of saying like, okay, we are random randomly choosing this school that has the exact same um, level of achievement or, you know, their means are, are the same. Like we, we don't have the luxury of doing that. So the analysis was then um, used to kind of control for those pre-differences. And then also that was one reason why we included that rate of improvement because rate of improvement can be compared across any group. Um, and so being able to look at that rate of improvement from the intervention group to the control group also kind of strengthens the study. And then beyond that, comparing it to a national average that has nothing to do um, with this with this area or demographic as well, but just fifth grade students in the nation. Right. So looking at a, a person who's listening to this, maybe their teacher, principal at a K to 12 school, what do your results say to a person who's looking to implement comprehensive school programming that really aims to serve the whole child? Like what's kind of a, a take home message or what's something that they can take away from, from your results and maybe implement themselves? You know, that's a great qu question, Risto. I think that, um, the main takeaway for me is that when a comprehensive approach to health is um, embraced in the school setting 
and embrace means that it is a, a change in culture. It's a change in culture in the school that welcomes physical activity, that welcomes healthy eating. So when that culture change occurs, we are able essentially to, um, to see these changes. And I think for principals and teachers, one of the things that is hard for us to, to grasp um, is this idea of time and we want to see immediate results. But when we think about physical activity and healthy eating, we, we know that you're not necessarily going to see those immediate results that we want to see where you, you do something and it immediately shows that these kids are doing better. And so for me, the, the message here is that if we are fighting the good fight and we're promoting a healthy school environment that includes both healthy eating and physical activity over a period of time, if you're committed to that and you're truly changing your school culture around it, you're going to be able to see um, these benefits in academic achievement and probably many other areas that are really important to the whole child too. probably mental health, physical health, social health, um, all of those things that we know are kind of tied within this as well. You'll probably see um, those also improving, which ultimately also have impacts on academic achievement. Yeah, and I think you echo a lot of what Phil Ward talked about in our last uh, podcast that I had with him about the, you know, the combination of health and PE as, as a field of, you know, maybe that's the answer for physical education going forward is being able to combine those two fields and do a more comprehensive approach where you're learning about health, things about nutrition, and then putting those into practice in a uh, enjoyable physical education setting and kind of carving out that space a little bit, because I think that certain schools put health in the hands of classroom teachers who are not trained to teach health. And so um, I think that there's a lot there about the whole child that can be can be addressed. But what what other highlights from the study did we miss or something that you feel like is a major finding from this from this work? I don't know about a major finding, but I think one of the things that's important um, to understand for those listening around comprehensive school programming is the concept that as um, as a school embraces a whole of school approach or looking at implementing healthy eating and health uh, physical activity practices, it's really important that it's done together. Um, that it's not something that is a cookie cutter approach and laid on a school and they're told that they have to do it. I think, you know, we talk about in this paper how schools are at different levels of readiness when we think about comprehensive school health programming. And some schools are gonna be ready for a higher level than others. And so as we think about working with schools and kind of creating these interventions for them, we need to be a little bit flexible in our approach for design if we want to, to see changes happen. Because ultimately, it's not about us. It's not about our research, right? It's about seeing that culture of change within the school. And in order to see that culture of change, we really have to design programming that's meant for those schools and those teachers and something that is going to be sustainable later on. You know, it's the worst feeling. And I'm sure anyone in 
in the realm that deals with schools, it's, it's a horrible feeling when you spend so much time and effort on a program and then you walk away and a year later, there's not a single trace of that program within that school. And so I think one of the, the things that I love about building healthy communities and, and this program is that, you know, we really try to, to take an individual approach in some capacity within the school and working with those schools to kind of make it sustainable for them. And although, as I said, that gets a little bit messy um, in the research end of it, I think that it's really important when we're looking at making those sustainable changes that are going to create that culture of change um, around health within schools. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so you published this paper in the Journal of School Health. So what are the implications for school health from your paper? And this is, I almost promised the last question. I'm sure this is the last question. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I think that um, oftentimes, you know, we get pu pushed back from the educational community that there just isn't enough time in the school day, right? And oftentimes that comes back to this idea of academic achievement. And so I think the results of this study really kind of talk about the importance of making time um, for health and wellness within the overall school curriculum and really kind of going back to that whole child. Um, it's really important for the school health community and the public health community to be able to um, talk to administrators and to work with administrators on the level that they're at. And we know that academic ach achievement is important to administrators. And so, as I said at the beginning, like we need to be able to meet stakeholders where they are. And although, you know, public health people might have more of a health agenda or physical education um, researchers might be, or practitioners might be really focused on that physical education piece. The reality of it is, is that we need to be able to talk to the stakeholders that we're working with and advocate in a way that they're going to listen. And so I think that this paper, um, you know, helps us do that. It helps us tell a story around the importance of health within the school environment and be able to share that in a manner that might resonate um, with administrators and superintendents and principals and whatnot. Yeah, and I and I do think that this this paper does uh, tell that good story, and it's it's great work. It's it's interesting work, and most most importantly, I think this kind of work is is meaningful. It's boots on the ground, trying to you know help specific communities and some communities are further along than others, but you're going in and making those individual changes to the schools. And at the end of the day, you're, you're publishing good work. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting and it's also specific to schools. Um, and I know that this is only in a fifth grade. Uh, so there's, there's plenty of other grade levels. How does this work in middle school or how does this work in high school and what does it look like? Um, but I'm sure that you are, you're actively looking at those questions as well. So um, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate your time. Um, I, I put a link to the to the article in the um, in the notes section. So uh, for those of you who want to read it, you can just click on the link or look at the citation and, and find that paper. If you need some help finding it, just um, direct message me. I can I can help you find that paper. Um, Aaron, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Rissa. All right, that's all we got for you on this one. And um, thanks.
you're still listening, you're probably really into health and physical education. So I'm going to use this opportunity to pitch our master's program to you if you don't have your master's degree yet. Um, our 100% online master's degree program we offer at George Mason is affordable. You can do it while teaching, and it's high quality. Um, Mason was listed as one of the top 50 universities under 50 years old in the world. Our education department was ranked in the top 10 nationally for the online master's degree program in curriculum and instruction. The master's degree uh, revolves around your teaching. So you'll use assignments from the classes to immediately apply research and best practices to your classes. You'll be part of a tight-knit cohort of health and physical education professionals who are passionate about teaching. You're also gonna get an opportunity to interact with students in other content areas. So if you're interested, you can email me, look me up on Twitter, or you can go on the hpewebsite.com under study with us and watch a video that I've made.